much. Please be seated. Rose, thanks so much for accompanying us today. That was great. Um, let's take our Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at some scriptures this morning. And I have several that I'm just going to read as we go through. And uh, you're welcome to try to keep up with me if you'd like. I'm not going to slow down. But anyway, Luke chapter 2 this morning. And as we were singing that hymn, I thought, boy, a lot of people would really think that's a strange song. Nobody ever thinks about working from sunup to sundown anymore. Very few people. That used to be the day that people did that. But obviously he's, he's applying that to the spiritual labor. And we need to work. And God wants us to work and, and serve him. And so I trust that we're doing that. We need to take every opportunity that we have. Um, there's so much to be done in this day. And um, All right, Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 21. And we'll read down through verse 24. And then down to verse 39 and 40. We, this is kind of where we, we left off last week. We went through all the different witnesses. And so we kind of skipped over this part because I wanted to give a full message to these verses here. Very, very important. So I'll follow along, please. Luke chapter 2, beginning verse 21. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And then down to verse 39. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And obviously that verse 40 is, a, is kind of a blanket statement of the Lord's development until the time he was to be uh, shown to Israel and begin his public ministry. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how we thank thee for the word of God this day. Thanks so much for um, directing us, directing me to this passage of scripture, and for the whole book of Luke that we're going to be looking through. So Father, help us today um, by the Holy Spirit to rightly divide the word of truth as we see some very precious things about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray in his precious name. Amen. Now, I would like you to either take your bulletin, because the scripture for today is Galatians 4, 4, and 5, or take your Bibles and turn with me to Galatians chapter 4 and verses 4 and 5. And by way of introduction, I want to take a look at some things in this passage of scripture as we uh, consider the subject this morning, made under the law, talking about um, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our main text, Luke 2, 21-24, um, is all about Jesus Christ being made under the law. And that's our focus um, for this morning. Now, just a couple things in, in Galatians chapter 4. Um, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman. Now, that's the virgin birth. Right? He was not made of a man and woman. He was made of a woman, conceived by the Holy Spirit. We've talked about that already, but so important. Made of a woman, okay? And then made under the law. 
redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And we're going to be spending a lot of time this morning looking at that, that phrase, made under the law. But the purpose is to redeem. To redeem. And the word redeem, as it's used here, means to purchase, to save, or to free. And it's used in, the, in that period of time for the purchase of a slave, someone that would go to the slave market, which was an unfortunate thing, but you know, it happened, and the Word of God uses that as a great illustration of what we were uh, before we were saved and how Jesus Christ came to purchase us. And, and the words that are translated redeem in the New Testament are so precious and they're, 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 they have volumes of meaning an application because they, they have the whole process. It's the idea of a, of, a, of a man, a person with the means to do so, coming and paying a price, paying the purchase price to buy, to purchase an individual or individuals, but there's more to it than that, with the, to the point to give them freedom. They would no longer be slaves to men. Of course, they would be servants of God. And I realize that um, the word slave has a bad connotation over the years because of what happened in our country and other countries. But then that's unfortunate because we are to be slaves to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be his servants. We're, and the idea there is that we have been purchased with a price and we have been set free from the slave market of sin. And we are now free to serve the Lord. That, and there's a whole lot in there. Um, and you know, I've said this before over the years, a lot of what is proclaimed by religious people and, and books and so on about liberty has nothing to do with the liberty of the Word of God. They're basically talking about a license to live any way I please and, and to live in sin and all that. And of course the Bible just, just blows that apart. Um, we have been redeemed, not, not free to sin, free from sin. Not free to live for ourselves, but free um, to live for the Lord. And so, um, made under the law. Made under the law. And um, we're going to take a look at some of those things. Let's stay right, we'll stay here for just a moment um, in Galatians, and then we're going to go back to Exodus 20, just to take a look at some things there um, regarding the law. Now, in back, as we're still in Galatians 4, the word in verse, f verse 4, it talks about the word, it says, God sent forth his son, fullness of time, when God's, according to God's plan, God's timetable at the exact moment, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. The word made there means come into existence, or came into existence, was born. Here it refers to Jesus' physical birth, humanity, and earthly life. So, John 1.14, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Of course, he was the Holy Spirit of God. He was the one who caused Mary to conceive. It was the power of, the, of God. And so he was born. He came into the world. We've been looking at those things. And so, um, under the law, here's what one of the, the, the real important uh, uh, phrases that we're going to be looking at today. He was made or born under the law. Now, 
first of all, right, right off at the start, he was born of Mary. And of course, Mary was a Jewish lady, Jewish young woman. She was one of the, the God-fearing. She was part of the remnant in those days. And she knew the scriptures, and she was trusting in the Lord, and she was looking for the Messiah. And if you want later, you can go back to Luke 1 and read her statement starting about verse 46, and how she praised the Lord, and how she quoted the promises of God that he had made to Abraham, and so on. And she realized that this child was going to be the fulfillment of those promises. All right, so so he was born Jewish. All right, he was born a Hebrew. Mother Mary. I remember one time I almost got stabbed because I said that. I was working with a guy in the grocery store years ago who was a, he was a Catholic fella, and he had, he hated 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 Israel, hated the Jews. And I said, um, do you know who Jesus' mother was? Oh, the blessed, you know, you know how they go, you know, the blessed virgin. Of, I said, well, uh, she was Jewish. And man, he, took, he was trimming some vegetables and he came at me with a knife. I said, well, she was a descendant of David. She was Jewish. He goes, he was, she wasn't one of those, you know, kind of Jews. Oh, yes, she was. And by the way, Jesus was a Jew. And I'm, you know. I said, sorry. I said, that's, that's the truth. He was Jewish. He was a Jew. In fact, Jesus said that. I'm a Jew. He said to the Samaritan woman, salvation is over the Jews, not the Samaritans. And, you know, salvation. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So, but the word under, notice it says there, notice, see that word, he was made under the law. That there, the word under there means as to status or authority. So here's the amazing thing, that Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory and the great lawgiver, became subject under and submissive to the law of God. In other words, it was required of him to obey the law. Right? And we'll, we're going to get, we'll see those, some things about that as we go through the book of Luke, because Luke focuses on and emphasizes Christ's humanity. And so the things of his manhood on earth are really emphasized in the book of Luke. Obviously they're mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and John, but they're really emphasized in Luke. And so therefore, we will see things that only Luke talks about about Christ's humanity, perfect humanity, sinless humanity, but yet humanity, nevertheless, real humanity. All right? So he became subject. Now the law here, of course, it refers to the Old Testament law that God gave to Moses, called the law of Moses. We'll see that in Luke, because Moses received it on directly from God, and you know that, written on the tables of stone, written with the finger of God, and that's what that's talking about. That law that, that is given under the umbrella of the Ten Commandments. You know, they have those Ten Commandments, and then every other law came off those. Right? So, let's go back <coughs> to Exodus for just a moment. And um, understanding the law, okay, really important understand, and I think we all, we all have a basic knowledge of this, um, there was one law, <coughs> but it had two parts, 
two aspects, two major aspects of the law. And I'm going to give them to you in the order that God gave them in Exodus chapter 20. The two parts of the Old Testament law were the ceremonial or religious law and the civil or moral law. Right? One law, but I had two parts. Right? Now, the first four commandments, the ceremonial law, this regulated Israel's relationship to God. Okay? Let's read verse, the first, uh, first four commandments in verses 1 through 11. God, and God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is, that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now, thinking back to those days, right, when God appeared to Moses and gave him the Ten Commandments and these laws, these commands, the first four governing the relationship of Israel to God, God with Israel. Up to this point, all the world, all the religions of the world worshipped idols. They they worshipped and prayed to things that had that were supposed to be to represent gods. And they were you know and they, they had all these stat they, they had images of gold and silver and they had things like you know the, the Philistines had Dagon who was part fish and part man and they had all these different things. And if you've ever you've probably maybe you've seen some of those. I um, I remember years ago being over at Tri State and a guy was there and he had made a trip to Egypt and he had taken pictures and everything of, of the different religious things that were just that were depicted over there all kinds of animals and birds and it was all part of their worship God said no 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 that's not that that's not acceptable you can't do that there's, I'm not there's nothing like me in the universe so no no first of all no other gods no other gods see Egypt had all kinds of gods many gods and God said no no one God and you worship you're going to worship me like I command you all right I made you in my image you didn't make me in your image okay but that's another problem with the world's religions and many people today if they're going to worship anything they have they want a God of their making all right God said no no it's not going to be that way with Israel with you and me I'm God, there's nobody else, there's no nothing that can like that you can liken to me. So me only God, no images, no worshiping of idols, um, don't take my name in vain, don't use my name wrong. Now we think about when we think about that commandment, I suppose the first thing we think of is using God, the name of the Lord as a curse word, and, and certainly that that applies, that, that certainly is. 
but also misusing the Lord's name. Like Aaron did when he made the golden calf, and he said, tomorrow is a... Well, first of all, he said about the golden calves, he brought them to Israel and said, these be thy gods, O Israel, that brought thee out of Egypt. Then he said, tomorrow is a feast to... He didn't, he didn't say some pagan god, did he? Aaron said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah. That was used, that he used God's name in vain. And then Isaiah and Jeremiah both talked about the prophets who prophesied lies in the name of the Lord. That's using God's name in vain. Okay, so, so, th- so those laws, and then remember the Sabbath day, the day of rest. And of course, that's based on God, six days creation, one day rest. And if people want to know the truth, it's pretty easy to show them that we no longer are under that system. We don't, we don't remember the seventh day, we remember the first day. First day of the week when Christ rose from the dead. All right? And so we need to re- be assured of that. There's always literature always going around saying that you're, you know, Christians are, are wrong if they, were, if they go to church on Sunday. It should be Saturday. Um, they just, they're ignorant of what the New Testament says or they choose to ignore what the New Testament says or they try to mix the old and new together. Uh, they ought to read the book of Galatians because Paul deals with that whole situation. I got something a couple years ago that was going to explain to me what the mark of the beast was. We know what that is. It's a mark. It's going to be on the forehead or the right hand during tribulation. No, no, no. I said, no, no. The mark of the beast is worship on Sunday. Anyway, I said, well, again, they don't believe the Bible. They don't believe the whole Bible. And they don't understand the distinction between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Anyway, I hope that you all realize that. But don't get caught up in these things. When somebody tells you, hey, here's something new, don't, don't, there's nothing new. Nothing new, all right? So all well, the doctrines of God's word are well established, and they have been for uh, centuries. Anyway, so, so that's the ceremonial law. By the way, that included the offerings, the sacrifices for sin, and the feast days, the special observances, like the, the Feast Tabernacles of Day of Atonement, and those marvelous things that God set up for the people of Israel. That's the ceremonial law. Okay. Then, commandments 5 through 10 were the moral law, which regulated Israel's relationship to each other. All right, starting in verse um, 12. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. By the way, they just have a couple kids here today. This is very important. Listen, kids. This, 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 this commandment is repeated in Ephesians chapter 6. And it says, Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. All right? And I know there's a lot of kids dying these days, young for different reasons, but probably if you go back to the trace it to the actual to the root of the problem, it's disobedience. And God's word is very, very clear about that. Children who do not honor their parents can can look can expect a troubled life and a short life. All right, so keep that in mind. 
thou shalt not kill, verse 13, obviously the other, there's other scriptures in Exodus that, that say that's referring to premeditated murder, explains it very clearly in the next couple chapters of, of, of Exodus. So a soldier is not violating the command when he goes to war to defend his country. Somebody tried to break in your house and you defend your house and you kill somebody, you know, you're not, you're not breaking that command. All right. Even, but the Word of God, even, even the Old Testament said there's ways to deal with that situation. Right? Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, and thou shalt not covet. Those, are those, those commands governed Israel's relationship with one another. And, by the way, their sin, just like ours, what may, involves breaking all these commands. And, then, and, and we can take it one step further. When Jesus was on the earth, they, they asked him what was the greatest commandment. He said the, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all, all their heart, all thy soul, all thy strength, all thy mind. And then because God does exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think, he said the second is like unto it, namely thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law. And the prophets. And then Romans 13, you might want to check that out, takes it a step further where it says about loving your neighbor, if you love your neighbor, you won't kill, steal, commit adultery, all those kinds of things. If you love your neighbor, you won't do anything ill to your neighbor. All right. Now, so that's the civil law. So the ceremonial law also included the instruction for the blood sacrifices and other observances that provided for the covering of their sins. Because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was made under the law, he had to perfectly obey the ceremonial law and the civil law. In other words, the two parts together. One law. Please don't think I'm saying it's two laws. It's one law, but it's in two parts. Just like, you know, there's one God in three persons, right? So, the Lord Jesus Christ had to obey every aspect of the law. Alright, now I want us to go to, to uh, Matthew, please. Matthew 5. Matthew chapter 5. So therefore, maybe, I don't know, as you read, and, as we, and again, as we go through the book of Luke, I'm going to hope to emphasize and point out these things, so just pray, you know, that I'll have clearness of thought and everything in looking at these things, and, and most of all, the direction of the Holy Spirit. But we're going to put, we'll point out to you times when the Lord Jesus Christ, it's evidence the things that he did in obedience to the law. And one of the things he did, we'll get to, he, he attended synagogue and the temple. If he was in Jerusalem, he was in the temple. If he was in other cities and towns, he was in the synagogue. He was there. See, God doesn't make a law and then Jesus says, well, I'll have to do that. You know, Jesus Christ did everything in the law or everything to fulfill right religious, righteous requirements. Now, Matthew 5 and verse 17. Do you realize that many times the Jewish leaders accused Jesus of breaking the law? Do you know that? They accused him of violating the law. Well, he didn't violate God's law. He violated, if you want to use those terms, he violated their law. You know, the doctrines of men. That Jesus said, no, you're, the problem is not with me, the problem is you. You teach for doctrine the commandments of men. You've laid aside the law. And they said, no, we haven't. We've got 613 of them. <laughs> you know, 
And so anyway, I'm so in Matthew 5, so I said all that to say what, to show you what Matthew 5 and verse 17 says. Think not, Jesus said. In other words, don't even let it enter your mind that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. We'll come back to that in just a second. Verse 18, For verily, for verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Now those are little markings. They're, those are Hebrew markings. Kind of like in English, commas and, or different things that, that distinguish one letter, one word from another. So even those little markings, they will not pass the law till all be fulfilled. Now, how did Jesus Christ fulfill the law? All right, number one, he fulfilled the ceremonial law when he offered himself for the sins of the world. Right? Now, in the book of Hebrews, it tells about Jesus Christ being a priest and that if, if this man were a priest, the writer said, he must have something to offer. Because if he didn't offer, he's not a priest. And so, what did he offer? He offered himself. So he was both the priest and the offering. Okay? And that's, again, it's, this is, it's just so marvelous and precious what he did. So he did away with the ceremonial law. There's no need to offer blood sacrifices or drink offerings or any of the things that they did in the Old Testament. And I could get, I could get huge trouble if the wrong person hears this, but that's okay. Not only is it, are, they, are they put away, not only do they have no effect, it's actually wrong. It's actually a sin to offer those sacrifices because the book of Hebrews said if you do that then you're crucifying the Son of God afresh you're, you're just killing the blood of the covenant an unholy thing you're trampling underfoot the Son of God and so when, they, when the people of whatever the religion and by the way do you realize that there are, there, are, there are religions today in the world that offer sacrifices did you know that? I saw a video a couple years ago at Tri-State at our Fellowship's Annual Conference, and I'm amazed that they even allowed this, but it was a video of a Muslim sacrifice. And they sacrifice cows and sheep. They, they sacrifice the blood. They, they do the, you know, they slit them and the whole thing, and the blood runs. And so they do that. Um, and But anyway, that's all in vain. In fact, I, rather than... Besides not helping them, it actually make, break, takes them farther from God. All right, and we, so we, we we know that we realize that. So Jesus Christ fulfilled or brought to a close, if you will. The word "fulfill" has a couple ideas. One is to obey and do it. Another is to bring it to its logical goal or conclusion. And so when Jesus Christ died on the cross. He fully fulfilled the aspects of the ceremonial law, right? What about the civil law? Well, <clears throat> Christ fulfilled this, this part of the law by his complete obedience to its every command. Dozens, but I want to just share with you two statements 
That's in the book of John that Jesus made of himself. All right, well, let's go there. We have uh, John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Again, there's, there's all, many verses, many, many verses that we could look at. But um, in John chapter 6, so we're going to see that here, this is a verse that has to do with the ceremonial aspect. In, in, in John chapter 6, it says this in verse 51 I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And later on in the chapter, Jesus talks about his flesh, in other words, his body and his blood. And that's how he he fulfilled the uh, ceremonial law, every command. He brought all those things, every one of those Old Testament things in the tabernacle, the temple, you know, not only the sacrifices themselves, but every piece of furniture, the candlestick, the altars, everything, the, the uh, uh, mercy seat, Jesus is the propitiation, you know, all those things he, he fulfilled fully in his, in his work on the cross, right? And then in John eight twenty nine, one example it says this, John eight twenty nine. it says, And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. Now there's the, there's the, the moral law, if you will, the civil law, those commands, all right? Honoring the parents and, and all those, everything, everything there, not killing, not committing adultery, not stealing, not coveting. All those things were fulfilled when Jesus said, I do always those things that please him. Now, do you ever, I don't know, maybe I'm weird, but I think about things like that. Um, I think about the Lord Jesus Christ in contrast to Dumbbell Me. Um, I think about how could, how could somebody, how, you know, Jesus Christ never had an evil thought. Never. Not one. He never, he never saw those enemies say, oh, get you. I'll get even. <laughs> I'll get ahead. No. You know, never. The Bible says when he, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. Never had an evil thought. Never said a, ba- a wrong word. Not, not only not, never said a bad word, never said a wrong word. I, I wonder if people today really get that. Some of the things I read about Jesus and hear people say about Jesus, I, I don't think they have that concept. I was talking to a guy a long time ago. And he, he was a minister of some kind. He said, well, I think Jesus had to be spanked like every other kid. I said, I don't think so. Because he never disobeyed. I mean, never, 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 never. He never said a bad word, never did a wrong deed. Not only that, but he, this, is the, this is the one that really gets me. He never failed to do the right thing. He never had to say at the end of the day, you know, Father, I, I know I should have done this, but I just didn't get to it. You know, never. Sinless. Fully. Obeyed the law. You say, well, big deal. He's the Son of God. Well, the big deal is this. When we accept him as our Savior, that obedience and that righteousness is applied, it's imputed to us. And we have his righteousness as a garment. And then the Bible says, in a practical sense, we're to take the shield, uh, the breastplate of righteousness, righteous living, 
So we're put in practice. So we're to, to be like he was in the, in the world, so are we to be that way? Obviously, we can never get there in this life because we always fail. All right? See, this is the people of this day. I, so many people do not get this teaching from the Word of God. Um, even in so, many so-called gospel preaching churches, they, I'm, and I'm, I'm not, please, it's only because of the grace of God and that he has led me, brought me to these places, and, and when, he, when he really, I mean, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. I can't explain it, but all I can say is when, when God began to work in my heart and my mind about going through the book of Luke, I was so excited. I mean, I could hardly stand it. I wouldn't do it, but if I could, I'd do flip somersaults down the aisle, you know. I mean, that's how excited I am about, about this book, about the Word of God, and, and about Jesus Christ, and about his life, and what he did for me, and what I want to do for him by the grace of God. It's, you know, it's, like, it's thrilling. It's exciting. To, and to think that his righteousness applied to a sinner like me. Do we see ourselves? Yes. Amen. Right. Right. Do, but do, I don't know that we see ourselves that way. I mean, even believers, I wonder. Now, hopefully, you, you, you get under this, you get pounded every Sunday on, on this kind of stuff. But, you know, it's just so many people, it's just so, it's so light, and it's so shallow, and it's so fluffy. Uh, I remember we were hearing a message one time from my dear, dear Mike, brother Mike Peltier on, uh, what was it, what do you call it? Oh, candy, yeah, candy cotton Christians. You know, you see that? Remember, I remember, do you remember the first time you ever saw candy cotton? And you said, wow, look at that thing. <laughs> and you take, you, and it's just like, it's nothing there. <laughs> you try to take a bite of it, there. <laughs> that's, that's the shallowness of our day. And, you know, and we, it doesn't have to be that way. Because we have, right before us, we have the unsearchable riches of Christ. And, yes, and I, I'm not ashamed to admit to you, after all this time, you know, I'm still learning. God's still teaching me from his word. And, and hope, please, keep on, keep on. Uh, and so the Lord Jesus Christ, fully, fully. And again, in John, let's, we're in John 8, right? Let's look at John, 46, or John 8, 46. I can't do this. I would never try to do this. Which of you convinceth me of sin? Could you do that? Could you and I, could you stand before a group of people and say, show me where I've ever sinned? Um, <laughs> yeah, don't, don't give me that look back there. I'm talking about now you, Kelly, the one behind you. Because <laughs> she knows, and I, I know her too. <laughs> um, we couldn't do that. But Jesus could. And if I say the truth... Why do you not believe me? Now, I, that, to me that brings up a very, very interesting thing. The rulers of the Jews accused him of all kinds of things. I believe in my heart they knew that it was all false. I, I, I really do. I believe that the Pharisees, that, that they knew that he rose from the grave. There, there's too much, there was too much evidence. They believed it all. I mean, I shouldn't say there's a difference between knowing it and believing it. I understand. But I mean, I think that they knew. Anyway, that's our Lord. It's our Savior. Which of you convinced me of sin? Now, the Bible says we as Christians are, uh, we should strive to be blameless. 
And that's not sinless, but, but above reproach, because we can't be sinless. All right, let's go, um, let's take a look here real quick. Let's go back to Luke 2 for just a couple minutes. Take a look at some of the particulars, how Jesus, and actually also Mary and Joseph, I don't know if credit's the right word, but um, we need to really acknowledge the fact that they too obeyed. They took seriously what the law required, and they did it. And they made sure that the Lord Jesus was presented, all right, in the right way. All right, let's go to Luke chapter 2, verse 21. So his presentation, the instruction that we're given, we've looked over, is the fact that he was made under law. I may not have said that at the beginning, but that was point number one, instruction. Point number two is presentation. Luke 2 and verse 21, and when eight days were accomplished, and eight in the Bible is, is one of the things, is, is, about, is new life or new beginnings. For the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So let me just give you a quick, and you could, I hope you'll want to do more research on this, uh, but circumcision in verse 21. Um, number one, it, it was, it was an, a, an act of consecration set apart unto God from Egypt. All right? Egypt is a picture of the world. And really in Genesis, or yeah, Genesis, Joshua 5, 9, we read this. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you. Wherefore the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day, because all the men were circumcised after they crossed Jordan. Because right? um, it hadn't been as they wandered through the wilderness. But notice what he says. This day have I, God said, I've rolled away the reproach. So the, the circumcision, the removing of that skin, was the putting away of the reproach, the sin of Egypt, but also then being dedicated or consecrated to the Lord. And then the, then the verse goes on, wherefore the name of the place is called Gilgal, which Gilgal means rolling or removing unto this day. So there was that consecration. That's why every male had to be circumcised under law to show that, that and of course, what did, what did the Lord say? The problem was they were circumcised in the flesh, but they were uncircumcised in the heart and spirit. That's a whole other, that's a whole other subject. Um, and you know, the Jews put a great, they put great, you know, they were circumcised, that meant they, so they were, they were good. Right? That was their idea. But secondly, not only consecration, but identification taking his place among those he came to save. In verse Acts 7-8 it says, And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begat Isaac and circumcised him the eighth day. And Isaac begat Jacob. And Jacob begat the twelve patriarchs. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, as he was circumcised, he was identifying with the people that he came to save. He didn't have to have any reproach rolled away. So he didn't need circumcision as such. But he, he, he did it because he identified with those that he gave, came to save. And then also it says his name was called Jesus. Notice all capital letters. Which means Yahweh saves or Savior. So again there's a reminder. He did all this to save. To be our Savior. Okay. And one of the points is this. If Jesus Christ had not done these things, if he, of course he was too little to you know, have anything to say about it when he was eight days old. But if he hadn't had these things done to him and done things as he grew older, he couldn't have been our Savior. 
He had to totally, fully fulfill the law. And you got nuts running around today that say it doesn't even matter if he's virgin born or not. They, they just don't get it. They're, they're, they're clueless. And they're standing, whatever, big auditoriums and all that kind of stuff. They have no clue about anything. Um, un- unbelievable. So anyway, all these things were necessary. I understand that. All these things, let me say it again. All these things were necessary that he did. All right? Now, verse 22, presentation. And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now, back in Leviticus, you can jot it down, look at it later. Leviticus chapter 12, verses 2 through 8, was covered the purification when, when a woman had a, a, a boy child. And I read one comment about that. Um, the purification was an idea that, one thing was that sin is transmitted at conception and realized at birth. And also, of course, a reminder of the fall of man, a reminder of the curse upon the human race is why this purification um, had to take place. And again, the, the, the idea of blood. Jesus Christ shed his blood and washed away our sins for our purification in the blood of the Lord Jesus. I don't, and I don't mean to be, I, I just can't, I can't believe these guys that are supposed to know better. That don't think the blood is that important. And if I, well, I don't know if I should. If I told you somebody's name, he's a very popular Bible teacher, you'd be shocked. I'm going to tell you anyway, John MacArthur. John MacArthur, in his commentary on Ephesians, said this, blood is a euphemism for death. Now, I understand that, but he, he and he came back and wrote another article to try to explain that, but he's kind of a little bit weak on the blood of Christ. And sorry, I know he's a lot of you got, maybe some of you really like him, and he's a great teacher, but no, nobody's perfect, all right? So anyway, others, he's not the only one. But, so we have, to be, we have to be careful. We have to take, you know, realize that to take the whole Bible for what it says. All right? um, purification. Then it goes on to say this, presentation, verse, last part of verse, to present him to the Lord. They brought him to Jerusalem, which was required by the law, had to be in the temple, to present him to the Lord. As it is written, the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Again, so the idea that the firstborn son, every male that openeth the womb, shall be called holy to the Lord, that is dedicated to God. That has to do with God calling them out of Egypt, the death of the firstborn. There's all kinds of things that enter that. So God said instead of killing the firstborn, they're going to be, they must be dedicated to the Lord. They must be dedicated to me, the Lord said. And then they had to offer. And of course, they offered a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons according to the law. This was allowed if the people could not afford a lamb. Right? So that tells you, again, a little bit more about, the, about Jesus' birth, the lowliness and humbleness of, the, of his fa- earthly family. And so they did that. But they did it according to the word of God. Thinking about Hannah when she dedicated Samuel. Think about people 
at least in your hearts and in your prayers, ought to dedicate your children to the Lord. Um, Verse 39, preparation. When they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. So when they did what they were supposed to do, what God's law required, they went back to Galilee to Nazareth. And that's where Jesus would be brought up and and so forth. And so they they went on, and I just want to comment about that. They they went back and lived an earthly life. And we know that Joseph was a carpenter and, and that no doubt that the Lord Jesus worked with him in the shop as long as Joseph lived. And in fact, Jesus was later referred to as the carpenter. Right? So you can honor the Lord in your work and everything we do. And then verse 40 says this, And the child grew, talking about Jesus, he grew, which means he grew physically. He matured, he grew up like any other boy a child. He was, again, 100% human, 100% God. But he, grew, he also grew spiritually. It says he waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him for his whole life, constantly. Again, there's the idea, sinless. He never failed. He never did a, commit a sin. God was with him. The grace of God was upon him. He was sinless. He was perfect. He was God in the flesh. Filled with wisdom. And next week, Lord willing, we're going to get an example of that right here in Luke 2. Maybe well, we'll see. It might be next week. It might not. Um, Because we might want to, as the Lord leads, the chronology of things, the next thing in Jesus' life would be the visit of the wise men after he was circumcised, after they brought him to the temple. All those kinds of things. All right, let's go. One other, one other passage of scripture, and that is Romans chapter 12. We need to go there because the word of God provides us information, instruction, but it also must be accompanied with application. I think we've kind of woven that in the message this morning. Um, and so the application for every believer, whether you're Man or woman, boy or girl, if you're saved today, this applies to you, applies to me. Um, by the way, I don't know if I made it, I hope I did, I better make it, when it says to present him to the Lord, it's the same word that's used throughout the Old Testament to bring a sacrifice, all right? So they gave him to the Lord as part of the requirements of the law, all right? So Romans 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, in other words, on the basis of all that God has done, his great mercy, that ye present your bodies. Now, that's, it's the exact same word in English and in Greek that is used in Luke 2.22 about presenting, being a sacrifice to the Lord. And he says that, doesn't he? Present your bodies, in other words, our whole being, the body as being the part of us that moves and think and, and, and speaks and all that, a living sacrifice, not the dead one, but a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So there's presentation. And we're, we are to do that as believers, right? And uh, maybe once and maybe, maybe it has to be repeated, maybe confirmed, maybe, you know, sometimes people get away or stray, stray away, drift away, backslide, they need to come back, whatever the case may be, every believer is to present his or her body to the Lord, right? 
and it's like the idea is they put it on the spiritual altar, if you will. Right? So that's presentation. Right? Question, have you done that? In fact, Jesus said, take up your cross, deny yourself, take up your cross daily. It's a daily thing. This whole area of sacrifice and consecration. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your <coughs> reasonable service. And the Bible calls it reasonable. In other words, logical. Makes sense to do that. Why? By the mercies of God, because of what he's done for us. And then this verse 2 is transformation. And be not conformed to this world. The word conform is the idea, don't be poured into the mold of the world. Don't let the, the world shape us. But be transformed. That means radically changed. The idea of change from the inside out. Um, metamorpho is the word in Greek. And you can hear a word in English, the word metamorphosis. When something changes into something else. When a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. You know, that's us. That's a, pic, that's a great picture of the believer. I mean, before we were saved, sorry, I, I'll say me, okay, so I don't want to make anybody mad. <laughs> I was like a caterpillar crawling in the dirt. Jesus Christ got a hold of my life. He's transforming me into a butterfly. Isn't I beautiful? No, it's <laughs> But, you know, <laughs> and, and it talks about things like that, you know, rising up with wings and eagles, and, and there's just a change. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. That's a whole. That's that's um, you know. That's the whole thing there. Um, and it talks about being changed, changed into the same image, the same word. We're changed. Um, so transform by the renewing of your mind. See what a, a person who is saved when, and get, get the word of God feeds this and helps it. When a person is become goes from being unsaved to saved. They have a new thinking process. That's the idea. Mind here means like mindset or way of thinking. A, a believer thinks differently than the world. You know, but now there's the battle. Because you know, the world's always trying to influence us and the flesh wants to follow the world. But we're transformed. Be transformed. The idea there is allow yourself to be transformed. Allow God to do it, but we also need to have the desire to have it done, and we do our part by filling our mind with the Word of God. And then realization. This presentation and transformation is required of every believer in Christ. No one is exempt, and there are no exceptions. It's for everybody. And then in closing, just this, this. Remember, this presentation is said to be reasonable service because of all that Christ has done for us. You know that? And also, I thought about this a lot. It is reasonable because a life that is sacrificed to God and Christ is the best life we could ever live in this world. The transformed life pleases God, impacts people, and brings forth fruit that will last for eternity. So he's, he's worthy. We need, to, we need to present ourselves. might be something in our, in our daily life, some, something as simple as for, with our whole heart asking God every morning, Lord, you take, you take me, use me for your glory, for your honor. This I, I give myself and this day to you. Some of you might do that.
So may God help us. Think the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of what he gave up and what he took on to be our Savior. And praise the Lord for that. Oh, how love the Word of God. I love the book of Luke. Oh, my. What a, we're, we didn't even, we're just getting started. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time that we can spend in thy precious word. And Lord God, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he, that he is and was and did for us. And that, that wonderful, that simple little statement, made under the law, how precious that he did all that. And Father, the, the word of God says that you humble yourself to even behold the things that are in heaven and on earth. And yet our Savior came to earth and was living in the midst of sinners, the filth of the earth. And yet he never ever gave in to the temptation himself, but he, he was that light. Thank you for that. Thank you for his great saving work. And just help us, O oh Lord, if there's, any, if there's anyone here who has never trusted Christ, will Lord, please convict them of how much they need him. Help every one of us as believers to, to, to just dedicate, sacrifice ourselves unto thee. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, a hymn, our closing hymn for this morning is uh, hymn number 394. Hymn number 394. Um, I surrender all. Let's stand, please. Let's sing the, uh, we'll sing verses 1, 2, and 4. Um, if the Lord has spoken to your heart, if we can help anybody today, you know, we'd love to do that. Um, if you've not been saved, we can help you to see what you need to do to trust Christ, to show, the word, show you the word of God and let the word do its work. Or as a believer, if you need to surrender, if you need help, you need counsel, prayer, whatever you need, we're here to help, all right? So keep that in mind, please, as we sing verses 1, 2, and 4. Jesus, I surrender all to Him. I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily. Live. I surrender all. I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. Verse two. All to Jesus, I surrender humbly at His feet. Worldly pleasures all forsaken Take me, Jesus, take me now I surrender all I surrender all All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all.
verse 4. Jesus, I surrender, Lord, I give myself to Thee. Fill me with Thy love and power, let Thy blessings fall on me. I surrender surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Amen. All right, we're going to close in prayer just a moment. Just please everyone have your head bowed and eyes closed and just think Meditate on the Word of God for a moment about presenting our bodies a living sacrifice, thinking about what Christ has done for us. And think about the value, the importance of what God's Word tells us. Heavenly Father, if we thank Thee, words cannot express our thanks for our Lord and Savior and what He's done for us, what He is for us and continues to do. Father, the life of surrender, how we, how we need that, and, and yet, Lord, there's so many things against that, our own flesh, the world, the devil, the fears, the things of the world, the things going on. Oh, God, help us to see through the facade and the falseness of this world, and, and Father, to see the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, and to, to uh, Lord, discern and rightly divide the word of truth in these days. And bless these dear folks for their, for their attention to God's word. Watch over us, I pray, as we leave here. And bless the afternoon and the service tonight. In Jesus' name we pray.